Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 2nd, 2016. It's quite something to watch all these mass movements across the world, all funded from the same sources, generally your tax money, as they push towards globalization through private organizations which lead the charge and have all their think tanks drafting it and so on. And I've mentioned this so many times in the past that I get fed up talking about it, but it's never been clearer than it is today. You have uh, every facet of life, every facet of life is studied so intricately and minutely because if the big boys, you see, push any part of the agenda too quickly, then it might not take and that's what they call it, like an inoculation. It might not take, it might not work. And uh, so they, all, they really do do tremendous studies across the world and even adapt the studies and indoctrinations towards their, 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 what they want, their desired um, endings in particular areas and changes on, on the chatter through, through the internet and everything else, and, uh, which certain universities get a hold of by law, you see, by your big boys, NSA shares it with uh, MIT and things like that, certain, certain faculties within them. And they get to do studies on all of us, you see. And they see if we're debauched enough, for instance, they push the rung of the ladder on any kind of sexual area, for instance, you see. And things like that is, is going to be right on, on cue with it all. Or it won't work, you see. There might be some backlash. They might, they might actually find somebody left there who, who hasn't been asleep or, or they believe in something. See, most folk today don't believe in anything except the, the, the material worlds. They're in the Marxian material world and the world that's been shaped for them through their indoctrination by what they call the experts, that they're always parting on about, you see, experts, experts, you see. So all the big boys that helped plan this phase a long time ago, who are all dead now, but they actually planned the phases and changes we're going through right now, and the changes that led up to, to it, because every change is always preceded by a previous change, you see, getting you step by step ready to accept the ultimate, whatever it happens to be. And it's a long time in the making, but... It works awfully well this way. And it's so so perfect now, as I say, with the internet and people twittering and tweeting and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, constantly, daily, many times a day, uh, in real time. So they, they, they do have the pulse of the public across the planet now on where their heads are, how their indoctrination is working with them and all the rest of it. And you, you, you are getting indoctrination. You really are. What got me was a long, long time ago it was to, to really study the big boys in their own books. And they, they mentioned how easy it is, how easy it is, and how easy it would be to completely reverse all social norms. Given time and the right equipment, meaning television, radio, movies, that kind of thing. And indoctrination, actually, through the school system. Uh, and over a period of time, maybe one, two generations, uh, they could, and by that they meant every 20 years, basically, um, uh, that they could really push the button to the next phase and the next phase and the next phase, and literally have us facing backwards if they wanted uh, that to happen. Uh, that's why they brought behaviorists into all of this. That's why they even created the whole supposed science, social science of behaviorist studies, uh, to see how we learn and what teaches us uh, what things specifically uh, teach us to learn. 
and how to use the, these techniques on the public themselves to predict how the public will be at the end of all their indoctrinated learning. It's been awfully, awfully successful, and I have to admit that uh, there's no doubt about it when now you have all kinds of walks of life, right up to, to, to people who are really into old, old age, who are watching porn all day long. Uh, and sometimes the, the ones that go to church will watch what they call soft porn. Well, it's only 50 shades of grey and things like that. But these things are all meant to, to push you to the next thing. Oh, that, that titillated your senses. Let's look to the next thing. That's how it's so easy, isn't it, that to, to, to change you by the big boys themselves. Remember, too, that when you're being entertained, as I've said so many times, you're being programmed because that's what really it's about. Within, within the, the entertainment uh, movie, uh, it doesn't matter what the story happens to be, you'll often see things just thrown in there that have nothing to do with the story. And that's, your, that's generally on the part of the programming you see that they're just throwing in there. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Until you get the point or your subconscious gets the point and you're getting programmed in Pavlovian uh, style of responses, you see. Very, it's really rather simple. And in an age where, where it's taboo, <laughs> it's taboo to have your personal opinions on things especially if it's still holding on to sanity, for instance, uh, that will be a crime shortly, to hold on to sanity. Uh, when you actually use your senses and sensibilities and rationale and, and you don't see what you're told by the state that you must see, just like George Orwell's 1984. It's pretty well here already, in fact, and under different guises, uh, if you just say the, that I can't see what, what, what you're being told, you must um, see uh, as a, a, a particular category of people, or whatever it happens to be, a special category. You see, today we're all special categories. If you're not in one, you've had it. You've got to find something to belong to now. Or you, you, really, you really have had it altogether. Because that's what they, that's what they call the, the top democracy. And people want special status, you see. Everybody wants to be special today. Uh, that's also becoming more and more uh, common, this, this idea of being special by everybody wanting to be a star on, on their Facebook or whatever it happens to be. This is all part of it, folks. The reality shows you've been programmed along the way until you can't think logically anymore. And now you do have folk that, that literally do want to be a star, and if you can't be a star, you've got to pick something else to get into some special category or, or other, you see, to get attention and to get special privileges and be, be treated even with more respect than, say, the general population happens to get. The general population generally don't really want respect. They, they just, uh, I think they're in a dream most of the time, and they simply like, go through their Pavlovian responses to everything, all their prompts, that they're given on a daily basis. And that's what the big boys would say as well, of course. But as I say, you can see on, they're on a roll now, a global roll. All you hear about now is the globalization, globalization, how they must not only save it, but finish it, complete it. The end of nations, the end of borders, the end of this, end of that. And, um, and, and it really is going to have a massive upheaval. It's already having massive upheaval across the planet in certain places, even more so than others. 
It's quite something else, I'm telling you, this this uh, planned socialist system. Remember, in socialism, under all the, their, their nonsense and, and rubbish, uh, socialism's about the planned by experts system, from birth to death for everybody. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Obedience, obedience by by the masses, and here's how to get them obedient. And uh, so today it's great. You, know, you, you, you just give them a TV set and a computer and uh, a cell phone. It's, it's quite simple. And in no time at all, they'll learn to, to be what, what the elite want to be called the new normal, you see. And they are. They, they know, and, and they'll parrot, but they're told to parrot. That the sky is, is a nice, sunny, blue sky, which is rare these days. I admit, well, the spring, um, you, you, they'll tell you it's black. Because they're all told it's black at the same time. Or snow is black, you see. Or everybody will believe that snow is different shades of grey. As Bertrand Russell said, they could teach the public to believe that. If you got them early enough. And it's very, very true. Very true. Most folk want to conform to the peer group. That's just the way it is. They don't, they'd rather avoid, avoid any conflict or any pain of conflict or caused by conflict and just get along. And they're, they're getting along until they're not allowed to have any brain at all unless it's, it's past an authorized, a standardized brain. I hope you realize we're in the system. Remember the, the, the socialist republic, uh, of uh, old Russia, the old system, the Soviet system, the Soviet Socialist Republic, they locked people up who still saw things as they were. It's a sad thing to say, but if you still see things as they were, or they are, then you'll be classed, classed as mad by the state. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, because obviously, if you had any criticism of the state back then, uh, you had to obviously be, be mad because... Because it was the greatest thing that had ever been invented. It was a science. It was, it was. You couldn't complain about it. You couldn't. You couldn't find fault, and it was perfect. You see, so you had to be mad, and they locked you up. And I'm not kidding about that. That's that was happened to a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Today, the same technique is used elsewhere in the world. Uh, when they don't want you to go through a court system, they just classify you as mad, and you bypass the courts. And so you don't have, uh, any, you don't get a chance to say anything <laughs> to the public or uh, or a jury or anything else, and they, they, that's a common thing that they'll they'll use. You see, you're obviously mad, and uh, oh, that's it. The experts have spoken, and you can buy experts all over the world, rather cheaply these days, and you can rent an expert or a few experts uh, any time of the week across the planet, uh, all different prices, of course. And uh, the more um, respectable they are, the more, uh, in other words, the more they've had their face in different magazines, because uh, that's all it means, really, uh, then, then the more you have to pay. But some countries don't charge value-added tax to, to hire these experts to put someone away. And they'll, they'll, lie, they'll lie about everything. If you, for a good fee, they'll lie about anything. Bernays went on about that, Eddie Bernays. For, for the big medical uh, associations and so on. It's, it's very easy to get people to, to buy things that, that you want them to buy. He says, what you do is make, make, it, make them think that professionals prefer. Therefore, he, he would set up little, little um, offices in a, a street level, cheap, and get a title for it. You know, that sounds all very officious and very, very legitimate. 
to do with medicine or, or psychiatry or whatever it happens to be, uh, or even automobiles and so on. And, uh, and, and then that would suddenly get plastered across the magazines in the country and in the newspapers. Uh, oh, four of these professors uh, say so-and-so. They, they, they belong to this association based at blah, blah, blah. And all they had to do was hire one little secretary who sat there doing nothing pretty well. Uh, but anybody who checked up on it, she would answer the phone and, well, gee whiz, so it is real after all. And they said, we should all take this particular pill and it'll stop us falling off the planet. So it's, uh, that's how you do things. It works awfully well. People have been taught not to trust their own instincts or their own reason today, you see. And it's becoming very easy to change the public if experts say so. You've all been trained in it too. And if you notice, too, you always have the experts uh, changing the story, especially in medicine, for instance. It's awfully good for that way. They'll tell you, uh, or even dieting, uh, for instance, don't eat this and eat that and blah, blah, and fat's bad for you. Uh, that came out, too, as exposed. That the big sugar consortiums back in the early 60s were worried about all the complaints about the children eating too much candies and getting obesity. And so they drummed up the same idea, got some professionals, hired a few to say, to say, well, there was four of them that they hired, to say that uh, uh, fat was making them uh, overweight, you see. And that's why you had this massive thing, oh, don't eat that, I'll clog your arteries. Now you, now you take all these different oils that clog it up even faster. Everything is full of conology, you see. That's the greatest science of all, conology. Now, rather than go into all the stuff I've said long ago and many times since about the trade deals and where it all came from and the whole act of globalization, what it really means and where it came from and who runs it all at the top, because I've done it all in the past and you have to go into the archive section at cuttingthroughthematrix.com to find one. By the way, now that I mention that too, uh, should you have any problems getting into uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, look at the other sites on the page, the front page there that I have, because you might need them in the future, maybe even quicker than you think, if anything's pooled with the transfer of all the, all the ICANN things and so on that's going on right now. So uh, you never know. You'll never know. So until it happens, then they'll be, where are you? Where are you? You see, that's it. It's, it's that can be that fast. That's what power is. It's power today in globalization is about concentrating all power in the hands of fewer and fewer people. I hope you understand that. Across the planet, when the big agribusinesses, for instance, have control of the world's food supply, and that includes the big Monsanto groups and all the guys that they've sold into all the other corporations, which are all really all the same corporation. Uh, it's very much like Standard Oil. Uh, they just uh, made a whole bunch of front companies as well and then sold each of themselves over and over to their front companies. It's a joke. I mean, you're going to find very few people really run the world, folks. But when they have your food supply there, they can start culling us all. They're already doing it with what they're feeding you as food. Come on. Come on. Agencies are supposed to protect you from, from some of the chemicals. No, they pass everything, don't they? Don't they? You're eating all the pesticides and herbicides and God knows what else. All the time in your food, and that's Okay. Even though the folk that work in these GMO places and the chemical places won't eat it themselves. You're supposed to eat it. And most of you do. 
And you wonder why all these cancers come from. You wonder why the endocrine disruptors are, are you know, are changing uh, appearances and so on. Mind you, if you want to change uh, a lot of appearances uh, of of the, the population, you can make them uh, less aggressive. Remember, and the military's talked about that with some of their special things there. How to spray stuff over the public, for instance. So rather than spray them, why not? Why not just put in their in their food? It's, it's rather logical for if you're really an enemy of the people, hmm? and. The changes are there. It's nothing to do with evolution. Come on. You don't suddenly all change within a, a span of 40 years in so many different ways. It doesn't happen by itself. And since there's no crisis about it, and your owners, you see that you're the big farmers who own you, uh, and we are owned, folks. We are definitely owned. We are, the, the, you know, we are a workforce. We're this, that, the other. We make it possible, everything possible for the elite themselves have an awfully good life, way above anything you can imagine, then you understand, uh, yeah, they can, they can change you and, make, and pacify you. What do you think of domestic cows? Do you think it started that way? Do you, think that, do you think that the domestic sheep just got there by themselves until they're nervous, neurotic, crazy little animals? No, they're, they're bred and bred and inbred to get passivity. That's what, that's what you do with them. <laughs> a peaceful world, eh? Mm. For whom? Was it Galton Darwin, the rest of them said that they'd have to remain the wild men at the top? Because they, they have to make all the decisions. See, everybody else would be too passive and too into themselves or playing with different parts of their bodies to, to, to even care about who's doing what in the world. You know, they'll go along with anything. That's how it is. Now, here's some of the articles. I mean, the boring stuff. I know it's boring. You want entertainment because that's what you've been conditioned to have. And uh, I'll give you some of the boring stuff regardless, you see, uh, of what's been going on and um, things you should know for those who really want to know because it shows you behind the scenes they're awfully busy. They always are so busy with their 10-year plans for one part and five-year plans for another. 15-year plans uh, for, for the plans that were just signed there at the Paris Agreement, of course. Things like that. Uh, they all have it worked out perfectly as to the next phase. And, and during that 15 years, you'll be, you have nothing but more and more propaganda. I think it's all quite natural, you see. Sustainability for, for socialist leaders is how many folk are they going to allow to live? The planned population. That's all part of it. And it's a great thing, this, or the environment, etc. Sustainability. To do it all. They couldn't do it. They tried it the other way. No one would go for it. So you, you scare them. You say, oh, look at the weather's changing. Ah. Most folk can't remember one year to the next. I've, I've asked lots of them. They can't remember what it was like the previous year. It's astonishing. It's so easy to, to con them. And that's what they do at the top, you see. We've always had storms, we've always had hurricanes, we've always had bouts of rain and bouts of, of, of dry weather. That's what we call just the weather. That's what weather means. If the weather didn't change, you wouldn't have the word weather. It would always be the same. Ah, the, 
the mind jobs that are done in us all are something else, aren't they? Really, they're something else. But even though you say it, it's a, it doesn't really matter because whole generations have been brainwashed into this. Anyone watching TV has already been brainwashed into everything I'm saying. You know, they, they believe everything they've been told. They'll see a, a big wave coming in the sea and over and over again, just like the, the buildings in 9-11 going down over and over and over ad nauseum, you see. Psychic driving, then they believe it. They believe what they're told. And let's be honest, two big office towers went down and it's to change, the world's changed. Never mind the one that fell down by itself, seven. But let's be honest, you change the world, this is the excuse they used. This is the excuse that was, was given. Because two office towers went down, office buildings. Hmm, think about it. So I'll just touch on Canada, who's skeptical EU left on trade deal. So it's, uh, they're still trying to get this, this EU one through, you see. And um, supposedly they, they tried it before, and it's on 27th, 28th of October again. Uh, the last time it was finished in 2014, kind of left hanging there. So now they're going for the next part. The whole idea is to legally, is, uh, legalism is quite something, isn't it? This legalism. Well, we signed an agreement. Well, I didn't sign it. Did you sign it? Most folk don't even know what's, got, what's going on. They don't. They really don't. And then they use terms like Canada signs or, or you know, what is Canada? It's a corporation. It's a name. It's a corporate name. That's how they're referring to it here. So people who work for the corporation sign something, negotiate something, but the rest of the folk that comprise this, this thing called Canada, which is the general population, don't even know what's going on. They aren't asked anything about it. Same in Britain. Britain does blah, blah. You know, I've heard it my whole life too. Or Japan or Norway. Or whatever. This is how they play this game, you see. And that because they, they, they use this term democracy. If, it, if you're truly a democracy, you should be involved and be given a say in something that affects you. But you're not. You're not given a say. Quite something, eh? Anyway, Canada was a skeptical EU left on the trade deal. And it says that uh, uh, they'll discuss ways of taking CETA, C-E-T-A, forward. Uh, faced with widespread opposition to the agreement, the European Commission vowed in July to put the deal up for ratification not only by the two other EU institutions, the Parliament and Council, but also national and, in some cases, regional assemblies. It's quite fascinating to see this whole idea of, of Marxists' centralization of government. So you, you simply knock away the government's powers, individual governments, put them into a block like the EU, and, you, and then put the right guys in at the very top in the commission, not in the parliament, because the commission makes all the decisions. And uh, you, you can do whatever you want then. Same with NAFTA, you see. North American. So there you go. I'll, I'll put this up too for those who want to have a look through it. I don't have to read it all. You can, you can read it yourselves, if you care. Most folk don't. They want entertainment, as I say. And then Brexit, the true cost of the UK leaving the EU without a trade deal revealed. And it says damage to Britain's goods export of leaving the European Union without a new free trade uh, deal uh, in place would be at least four and a half billion pounds a year. 
and all likelihoods, many multiples of that investigation by the independents found. And then it says, um, David uh, Davis, Brexit secretary, admitted earlier this month that it was possible the UK could leave the EU without a trade deal and would be forced to trade with the rest of the continent under World Trade Organization rules. Well, why don't they just trade with the rest of the world anyway? Who cares about all these different rules? I mean, for centuries and centuries, countries trade with each other uh, all over the planet. That's what trade is. Before you had nations, you had trade. <laughs> you, you had people going a, a, across oceans in primitive boats, you see, and things like that. And Stone Age times, for goodness sake. And, uh, but now you need all these legalisms again. Then you can, then you can control everybody with legalisms and, and, and signing something. That's it. Quite, quite, quite the act, isn't it? And, yeah, and, and I'll tell you another thing, too. If there's businesses want want uh, to have sales, they'll trade with anybody. They, yeah, they'll trade, they'll trade all right. Yeah. They want money. That's what they're in business for, money. So uh, you have all these fear things, fear, fear, fear. Oh, do what you're told, fear, fear, fear. Uh, I, I tell you one thing, I bet the EU, uh, or I bet you Britain, uh, and I've read some of the articles too, is probably given more than four and a half billion pounds a year just to the, to the parliament, this extra parliament in, in Europe. Or to, to its central banking system over there that just simply throws demands at you all the time to help bail out some other country. What a racket, eh? <laughs> and then this one here, a look in the EU's unbalanced books. The EU's former chief accountant has laid bare endemic corruption, but our own politicians are too emasculated to care, said Christopher Booker. And that was back in 2009. This is evidence mounts on all sides as to how Britain's standing in the world is in sad decline. After 10 years as the world's fourth largest economy, we have now slipped to sixth place behind China and France in Wednesday's Daily Telegraph under the heading, The UK Will Be Missed on the World Stage. Erwin Stelzer wrote about the failure of our military missions to Iraq and Afghanistan and lamented Britain's retreat from an effective role alongside our US partners. On the same day, Max Hastings uh, reported a similar story from the American, America itself, where he was shocked to find how far we've lost respect earned in the days of Mrs. Thatcher. Another perhaps less obvious reason why Britain has lost respect is reflected in a shocking new book published tomorrow entitled Brussels Laid Bare by the EU's sacked former chief accountant. And that's quite the book, uh, Brussels Laid Bare. Marta uh, Andreasen. The outline of her story has long been familiar. In 2002, as the first qualified accountant to be given the job, she was appointed to sort out the EU's accounts, which for six years running had not been cleared by the EU's Court of Auditors due to a maze of irregularities. In 1999, the entire European Commission had resigned when, thanks uh, not least to Commission whistleblower Paul Van Buttenen, every kind of fraud and corruption has come to light. Miss Andreasen was born to a Danish father, lived in Spain, and worked for various multinational organizations, began her new job as something of a European idealist, hoping she could help to put things right. Soon she arrived, she was invited to meet the Court of Auditors. 
They welcomed her and expressed the hope that she could impose order on chaos, but warned that she would meet stiff opposition, not least from the powerful Frenchman who for years had been in charge of the EU budget. Although her book changes officials' names for legal reasons, he is identifiable without much difficulty as John Paul Mingason. As soon as Miss Anderson began looking at the EU's accounting system, she saw that it was in a shambles. Between the 2000-2001 accounts, 200 million euros in one year, 200 million euros had gone missing without explanation. <laughs> she was told these were loans which had been uh, written, written off. You can imagine if you run a business and you could write off all these things all the time, <laughs> how long you can go for. But it's great. Taxpayers are fantastic, aren't they? They're, that's the sheep again, eh? 200 million euros in one year. That's just one year. How many other years have they been there, eh? I got missing with the explanation. She was told these were loans which had been written off and senior officials were authorized to hand out huge sums without any proper records being kept. They're allowed to, right? They're authorized. Accounts were kept on spreadsheets which could be accessed uh, and changed without leaving any trace of who made the changes. The system was open to fraud in every direction. Almost immediately, however, Miss Andreessen found herself being pressured to sign off the 2001 accounts, which, as she said, would be a criminal offence since this was the responsibility of her predecessor and she had been given none of the information needed to know whether or not they were correct. It soon became obvious that her attempts to introduce changes were being blocked at every turn. The German budget commissioner, although initially sympathetic, was hopelessly out of her depth. Thus began a horror story only too familiar from the experience of previous whistleblowers from Van Boutinen to Bernard Connolly, uh, author of The Rotten Heart of Europe, except that Miss Andreessen insists she was not a whistleblower, but merely doing her job. Her telephone was bugged. She was followed outside the building. In desperation, she sought an interview with Neil Kinnock, the commissioner, uh, vice president, uh, charged with fighting fraud. But she described how he treated her with bullying contempt. See, they're all in the take, folks. I mean, that's what they're telling you here. Everybody's taking the money. It's like a third world country, this EU thing. is utterly corrupt. Utterly corrupt. And they want you joined with it. And they want us joined with the same thing in North America, which is the same thing. If you realize how much money has gone missing, it's just astonishing. At Lord Kinnock's instigation, she was first suspended and consigned to a tiny office without a telephone, then dismissed, found to face disciplinary proceedings. So doing your job is going to get you uh, in the court, basically, just doing your job. Thus her life descended into a five-year nightmare. She faced one tribunal or court after another, all finding her holy, her holy to blame. And that's standard what they do. They always blame you, you see. It's always your fault. At one point, she had to appear uh, before all commissioners like a naughty child, only one appearing to listen to her, while Kinnock made grimacing signs to indicate that she was mad. A standard technique. Her books, books, uh, her book reads like a chilling cross between two Kafka novels, uh, The Trial in the Castle. Yet this is the organization to which our politicians have surrendered much of the power to decide how Britain is governed and to which Britain ta- British taxpayers now hand over some £13 billion every year with no control over how it's spent. 
and June the 4th, a minority of us will cast votes in elections to the European Parliament. By surreal twist, the Danish-Spanish-Argentinian Miss Anderson will be attending in the East Euro region as lead candidate for the UK Independence Party. Well, that's back in 2009, as I say. But, you know, that's the world. And, you know, it's folk become more corrupt. They'll accept more corruption, you see. And and people really are becoming more corrupt, personally. They, when you start tossing out the things that held you together, or your grandparents or great-grandparents together for centuries, uh, you're just on the way down the slope, you see. And it's been said long ago that uh, uh, the people will accept... Um, Tyrants and corruption to the extent to which there are, they're the same in their own personal lives. Back up to the present, Canadian minister embarks on tour to save the trade agreement with the EU. <laughs> and it says that Christia Freeland says CETA is the best way to push back against growing anti-globalization sentiment and to show that a progressive trade agreement can be done. You see, so it's, that's, there you go, see. Globalization is, is the, the next big, big goal, which means global governance, totally uniform, standardized system across the whole planet. That's what they're after. Remember, it's control freaks at the top who own it all. They don't take part in these things. They tell their little siblings down below to, to do all their hard work, you see. And they do. They do a lot of, of the work. And the boys at the top and boys and gals at the top don't do anything. They don't work. They just own it all. Now, this... Minister, Trade Minister Freeland uh, says it's a very big focus of mine right now and of the Prime Minister, Freeland told the news conference Wednesday and she says uh, we see CETA as an important deal not just for Canada, Europe but also very powerful today and and its protectionist movement as a way for Canada and Europe to push back against the anti-globalisation sentiment and to show that a progressive trade agreement can be done. And I think, think by the way, it can be done uh, because, because, really, that they uh, uh, say that Pierre Trudeau is in power now, so they've got their socialist system in power, and so does most of the Europe as well. So I guess they'll get what they want regardless, given time. And, uh, and of course, big corporations love it because if corporations are not what you think either. It's just independent, greedy corporations. Uh, they're, they're, they're part of this global structural system. And uh, it would be much better for them in a, in a planned society, in a controlled world, for guaranteed sales and everything else, you see. And then CETA to be signed again during the EU-Canada summit mid-October, another article on the same thing. And uh, it's quite quite good too. As I say, uh, every, you have to read two or three articles or maybe more on, on the same subject to start to get uh, an idea, because none of them will have all the same uh, remarks in it. And some that will fill other parts in that the other ones will omit and so on. So I'll put this link up tonight as well. And it says in this article here, the European U- Union doesn't just want Canadian products and services in negotiating a comprehensive economic trade agreement against CETA with us. It also wants our sovereignty and our soul. Canada should walk away from CETA. A deal is scheduled to be signed to the Canada-EU summit in Brussels October 27th. Otherwise, we may lose not just our Canadian character in pursuing the deal, we m- may also lose m- much of our economy. 
the EU approach to trade has always been about more than uh, lowering tariffs and, and ending quotas. It doesn't simply want an FTA, free trade agreement. It wants a comprehensive trade agreement. The EU sees trade as a mechanism through which its political goals can be met. That's why it still insists that its trading partners agree to everything from welfare policies to open borders. And actually, the Greeks did an awful lot more than that, actually, uh, as you've probably seen. I, I, got, I was amazed, actually, looking at a whole bunch of different countries that the UN is involved in and, of course, the, the IMF that uh, gets countries into debt and then runs their, their, their country for them and then gives them little bits of freedom here and there by mandating the policies, social standardization. And so many of them in Latin America now, these countries, uh, all, they all have the eco thing written into their, their charters for the nation, first and foremost. And, and then the next part is uh, same-sex marriage. Like, like that's, that's a social thing that you must thrust on every country on the planet, regardless of its culture, uh, because it's, it's the global policy. You understand? This is all about standards. Don't forget that nothing stays standard. Once they have one thing through, they go to the next level. They've got big plans for all of us, what's left of us anyway. But using uh, money, loans, to dictate what, what you're, how you're going to run your, your country entirely and what's going to be up the, the top of the ladder on the importance level as opposed to what you might think in that country is, is more important, like feeding the folk <laughs> and giving them jobs. You know? Quite something else, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to watch the power right now of globalization? And you can tell a small clique obviously run it and makes the policy for them all. And I've never heard Canada or any other country saying, look, hands off these countries and this. let their culture go, go through its own changes itself. For goodness sake, yeah, trade with someone if they want to trade, and that's about it. But you don't tell them how to live their lives. But again, socialism, really, this, this system is control freakism, and that's what they are at the top. They all know better how you should live, or even if you should be living at all, actually. I'm not, I'm not kidding about that. I'm not kidding about that at all. In your lifetime, you're going to see um, mandatory uh, euthanasia, mandatory, across the board at certain ages. And they'll train a population to believe it's all normal. It's not hard to do. At all. Not hard. Especially when they can do it in the right way without telling the public this to save themselves all the money to, that, would, that would cost to treat you for something. It's much, much cheaper to give you a euthanasia pill and convince you it's the best thing for you. Even though you might get through another 20 years with treatment and be quite happy with that too. You, you can unfortunately train the public to believe anything as Bertrand Russell says. Proper training. Anyway, it says um, Canada doesn't have strong enough labor laws to ensure decent working conditions or strong enough regulations to protect the environment or enough of a commitment to sustainable development. See, all this is part of the total control freakism. Under sustainable development, they can get you all off the land if, if they say you don't belong there. And they can use the big corporations to, oh, we can't supply electricity to you. It's unsustainable. It's too far away now, and things like that. And then, of course, with under the, the eco this and eco that, they'll start adding the carbon taxes to your gasoline if you're in the rural areas and tax you all the more for traveling on rural roads and so on. 
and it's all done with their with their eye in the sky and with their goal positioning satellites and watching your, your vehicles and in touch with its computer, yaddy. And it's, it's all been figured out way, way, way ahead before you even knew you were going to put these things in your cars. Then it says, Canada's International Trade Minister, Christia Freeland, had an answer to such critics uh, earlier this week in a closed-door presentation to Germany's Social Democratic Party prior to a convention vote on where to endorse CETA. Canada would capitulate. Her promise to change our labour and environmental standards to conform to European standards did the trick. The centre-left SPD, despite overwhelming opposition from its rank-and-file members, voted to allow CETA to proceed, but only provisionally on the understanding that Canada must demonstrate that it had buckled under the satisfaction of labour and environmental lobbies. Lobbies, private lobbies, eh? And the EU's 28 member states before CETA comes fully into force. And the EU sees a trade deal as a way to advance its political goals. Mm-hmm. It's a pity they wouldn't tell the general public all what the goals are. I mean, I've told you what they are, but uh, they, they aren't going to tell you. And you won't read their books, will you? Now, lab research shows inflation may be all in your mind. Ah, see, we're in an age now when anything can happen with your brain, you know. You can be one thing one minute and one thing another. All these things are all, well, this runs that way. So, so here you are, lab research, you see. This will be from, no doubt, an expert, right? Oh, it's got to be, it's got to be an expert. So inflation is on your head. And Luba Peterson has a lab work to prove it, you see. And Canadian inflation has cooled to near 1%. That's awfully accurate, isn't it? Oh, well, and Bank of Canada Governor Stephen uh, Polos tells us to expect interest rates to stay low. With a flood of money into the world economy, that wasn't supposed to happen, but a growing body of research shows the rate of inflation may be more mental than mechanistic. You see? When I heard about Peterson's laboratory work on inflation, my mind involuntarily strayed to rats in cages. But of course, the professor and researcher at Simon Fraser University is using human subjects to try to understand what causes prices and wages to rise. What could it be, eh? Hmm? And it says, um, consumer prices are rising slowly, at least partly because that's what people have grown to expect. The problem with looking at real-world data is that you don't know what's driving people's behavior. Really, really, you don't know since it's all given to them, says Peterson. But in the lab, I have a lot of control. Hmm. She says that high degree of control gives her the ability to experiment with new policies because central banks can't toy with policy just for the sake of academic inquiry. Peterson's research is part of the behavioral revolution in economics. Rather than theorizing how people should react to economic signals, economists experiment to find out how people actually respond. I know how I respond. I put my hand in my pocket. If nothing comes out, then I can't buy in. It's very simple. And it says the researchers can talk about her experiments commissioned by the Bank of Canada, but other work shows some unexpected reactions to central bank attempts to push prices and wages higher. Everything's rigged, isn't it? Everything's rigged as, as these people prompt and push wages and uh, or, or prices higher. Prices are going up all the time. 
you know. And it says, uh, deflation's a drag. Not just Canada, but much of the developed world is suffering low. Inflation or even deflation, which for reasons previously discussed, act as a drag on investment and growth. Manipulative, as it may seem, one way central bankers try to ignite inflation is to tell people they should expect it. But Peterson's research indicates that exactly how they, they try to do that really matters. Essentially, what she found is that if central bankers predict a higher inflation target and the economy fails to hit the target, people become cynical and lose confidence in the bank's predictions. One thing is you should try tea leaves. Not in the bags, of course, once you burst the bag. But tea leaves are pretty good, apparently, for reading the future. Con, con men used that for a long, long time, you know. One thing is, and actually you could do a short course at university for that, couldn't you? Yeah. After all the, the giggy courses and every, all other aspects of absolute tripe and rubbish. One theory says people think uh, central bankers like Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Paulus have inside knowledge about the future. Of course they are. So that when they, they hold rates down, ordinary folks assume the economic future will be weak. However, Peterson's research shows that if they make far less explicit qualitative warnings about rising prices and wages, they're more likely to be believed. You see, qualitative warnings. The traditional theory, one that many still ascribe to, is that low interest rates make money cheap. Then people feel free to borrow, invest and spend, thus strengthening the economy. That drives inflation up. And they go into the perverse effect and all the rest of it, you see. It's all in your head, remember. I guess so is debt, eh? Did you know that Alan Greenspan was a, a, a devotee of a movement way back before they made him the high chutzpah? And it's astonishing. I used to wonder why when this guy that mentioned he was going to walk out and give an announcement, he'd walk out on like a stage almost in utter silence. He couldn't get that silence if the Queen walked out, Queen of Britain. But he had, he was like, whoa, God, to, to the public. That's how they put him forward to con you all. And he'd say, you know, he'd just look, you know, all, all knowing and wise and then say, cool it, meaning Cooling, cool investments and the whole bit and all this. Cool the economy, cool it, you say. He didn't say qualify, just to say cool it. And everybody obeyed. Oh, wow. But he was a believer in, old, in a doctrine that came out of Kant, Kantianism, where nothing is really real outside your skull. And then he mixed it with kind of Freudian psychiatry, which is a bit of a joke too, uh, and was actually intended to, to, to destroy folk's sanity. And then the... Uh, in order to conquer them, you see, destroy them and rebuild them, but, but kind of like MK Ultra. But anyway, Greenspan believed. I remember seeing an interview a long time ago. It was on TV. And this theory that, that well, nothing really exists outside your skull, and all you've got is these senses, and your senses can be deceptive or deceived. And Greenspan says, after all, he says, how do I know that you're really real to the guy who was interviewing him? Quite seriously, he said this. And, uh, and then he says, uh, or, or this chair is real. He gave other examples, you see. And that's why, the, that's why he got the big high hoospah job after that. Because he could look at the debt and it, it didn't worry him at all. It wasn't there. So there you have, uh, basically, the, the con, you see, that... Uh, 
Nothing's really real. Don't don't get worried about it. All it's all in your head, for goodness sake. But just meant to take you pull out that plastic and spend more. That's the intention of it, obviously. Quite something, isn't it? Eh? Now, what else has been happening? Well, you all know about the OECD, don't you? Well, you don't, do you? Because you don't really take, pay much. You're watching he said, she said in politics right now. What it is, is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. It belongs really to the, under the, the UN auspices, but really it's, it's, uh, it's the World Bank and the Bank for International Settlements and IMF. That same, all these private groups belong to the same club, basically, that was set up privately again a long time ago to help take the world over. Anyway, I'm not kidding about that, but that's the facts, folks. What do girls, women, and remittances and tax have in common need a higher place on the list of priorities this year? This is a UN Habitat conference, according to the global development experts. So this is the experts. You see, you've got a global development expert who spoke at Deve on the sidelines of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, Africa Summit in Paris, France. Quite, quite amazing, eh? Africa Summit in Paris, France. Development professionals will come together the week of October 17th for the third UN Habitat Conference in Quito, uh, Ecuador. 20 years have passed, and see, they have 20-year plans for this part, you see. It's interesting, isn't it, for the Habitat Conferences. This is Habitat 3. So this is the 20-year plan, the 20-year plan, the 20-year plan. This is how they do this part. And they want, it, they want um, a whole bunch of things done before they can wait another 20 years to see certain priorities uh, come to fruition. The goal of the conference is to get renewed commitment from global leaders for sustainable urban development. So here they are into sustainable urban development. You see, once again, this is to do with population. Uh, who will get electricity, who won't, who can live in the country, who, who can't, yada, yada, yada. Agenda 21, remember that part? No private vehicles, no essential vehicles only, no, no private property, rental only, yada, 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 yada. Now they, now they call it 2030 to throw you off. It's the same agenda. It's for a 100-year agenda, Agenda 21. <laughs> anyway, it says, um, address urban poverty and take stock of new and emerging urban challenges. The conference aims to set the new urban agenda as its outcome document, which lays out plans for implementation and uh, syncs objectives with the Sustainable Development Goals. So there you go. That's Agenda 21, Sustainable Development Goals. Millennium uh, Goals do the same thing. And they give you a whole bunch of links, which I'll, I'll put up tonight too, for those who really are interested to look them up to see how it's going to affect you. Remember, this isn't just about Africa, believe you me, it's for the whole planet. What are global, a global uh, experts uh, needed for, right? This is mainly in development field political figures in African countries too believe in investment in agriculture will reinvigorate the rural economy and that urbanization needs to be reversed. So they don't like urbanization. Lauren uh, Bossard, head of the Sahel in the Sub-Saharan Africa program, the OECD, told Deve. And they go on with their, their usual nonsense stuff. But it's control freak time, and oh, if you think that's bad, just get used to it, because it ain't nothing to what you're going to see very, very shortly in the future. One little tidbit here is something else you haven't heard about either uh, that exists already, and that is, uh, if it comes from this little part of the same article that says, uh, Pazzini said uh, that the newer 
tax inspectors without borders. Isn't that interesting, me? A partnership with the United Nations Development Programme will play a role in recovering the more than $100 billion lost annually in tax revenue, according to World Bank figures. Hmm. So it's quite interesting indeed. It's quite interesting. <laughs> really, people think they're, <laughs> they're politicians are running this show, eh? You're snowed under with agencies galore that the public don't even know exist. They're international agencies because the whole goal and plan has been for their whole year lives and the appearance before you, a world order, folks, a world government, inter complete global internationalism. You see? Well, not quite complete, actually. There's always an exception here and or there, maybe just one, who knows. Now another bit on the Habitat 3 from another article. Advocates laud, who's advocates anyway, generally people who work there, laud the Habitat 3 strategy's guidance on local climate action plans. Resilience, whatever they, they can make that mean whatever they want it to mean. Energy efficiency, sustainable transport, he Agenda 21, Millennium Project 2030, yada yada yada. Urban food and more. Remember, one big corporation will own all your food. Well, but they worry it doesn't offer the specific roadmap needed. And it says, uh, it says here that um, the draft new urban agenda is seen as strong on building urban resilience in the face of climate change. So climate change nonsense, you see, the weather, you know. A year on from a milestone global agreements to tackle pressing development challenges and the threat of climate change, the UN General Assembly convened last week in a congratulatory spirit. I'm sure they are, as billions go missing. As the conversation shifts from negotiation to implementation, UN officials and experts are acknowledging the vital role that cities play in advancing those agendas. Remember the, the smart city programs and all that, and uh, smart city growth and smart agenda, yada, yada. However, world leaders fell short of recognizing the next major UN summit, Habitat 3, which will directly uh, address the role of local governments in the global arena. On September 20th, heads of state commemorated the first anniversary of the adoption of the Sustainable Development Goals, which aim to end poverty and improve livelihoods uh, worldwide by 2030. The next day, UN Secretary General General Ban Ki-moon hosted an event to encourage faster ratification of the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. Today, these accords are the twin pillars of the UN social and economic agenda and will be for the next 15 years, you see. So, here you go. Uh, Again, as I say, this is part of a a 15-year plan. It's to update it and update it and update it and give you another 15 years off the next part of propaganda for, you know, incessantly for 15 years to get you. So you think it's all normal when you go into the next part. And that's how you run the world, folks. It's not difficult, is it? It's quite easy. But so they've got them everywhere, you see, and they've got them all these NGOs and into your local councils and yada yada. I've even got one in Sudbury, you know. It's, um, they've got the mission statement there, a network of organisations. Who funds them all? Well, I told you who funds them all before, you know. At least, at least all their leaders. And your tax money also tends to go to them as well. Quite not bad. And you think you're voting. You think your vote matters when you're voting for your politicians. <laughs> it's a bit of a joke, isn't it? Rather sad, that. That's how it really works, isn't it? 
I can't understand how folk want to ignore the, the, the real control over their lives. The real control. All the politicians do, and they're vetted before they get in, not by the public, by, by the masters, you see. Not one will ever fail to sign something they're told to sign. They'll sign it all right. They might play the game of conservative and install it for a little bit, you know, and let the next bunch come in and sign it. That's how they play the game, to me, believe in sides, you see. There's only one side. Only one side. Well, from a wet Ontario, Canada, and from myself, Alan Watts, it's good night to me, your God, your God, school with you. <laughs>